I'm Danny, that witch next door. And you're listening to That Witch Podcast. Hello, everyone. Happy day. How's everybody doing? Welcome back to another awesome, magical episode of That Witch Podcast. I am Danny, your host, your guide, your mentor in all things witchcraft, magic, and astrology, that witch next door. We just had a really good uh, pre-show tarot reading on YouTube, and it was a very powerful message that came through today. So if you're listening to the audio version and you're not on YouTube, do not forget to go check that one out today. You really don't want to miss this message from your guides. It's a it's a beautiful one. Okay. Well, I'm really excited to be here today. Really excited for part two. Did I almost say fart two? I did. And I'm leaving it in there for all of you. Fart two of the fundamentals. Okay, here we are. No, but we are talking about the elementals today. We are on a series of fundamental episodes here at That Witch Podcast, starting with the elements. Last episode, we did uh, earth and fire. This episode, we're going to be talking about air and water, uh, what those energies really look like, what an overabundance and a lack of those energies look like, and um, different ways that you can tap into and work with each of those energies and elements as well. And I'm really excited for the future upcoming episodes for this fundamental series just to give everybody a taste and get you all so excited, as excited as I am, and also because I'm really bad at keeping exciting secrets. Uh, We are going to be talking, I'm going to do a big episode on just moon magic in general. What the fuck are the moon phases? How the fuck do we use them? How do you track? What if you don't want to? Ah, we're going to take all the stress out of that. I think that moon magic is responsible for so much unnecessary stress and pressure on modern witches. It's all good. It's the moon, baby. So we're going to get into moon phases. We are going to be talking about seasonals, okay? Seasonal magic, the seasons in astrology, the wheel of the year, all of that. Uh, We are going to be talking about deity worship, working with other energies, worships, offering, just, you know, plain straight up working with a deity without, you know, devoting an entire practice to them or whatever. There's all different kinds of things that you can do with deity work. If you're a pagan witch like I am, we're also going to do an episode on herbalism and really getting started in fucking herbs and magic because I think that that one's almost so broad that people hear the word herbalism and they're like, oh, I that sounds very difficult. And then they talk to me about their project, their practice. And I'm like, you're already working with herbs all the time. You just don't realize that that's herbalism. So we're going to do a whole episode on herbalism. We're doing an episode on candle magic, an episode on crystal magic, an episode on can candle again. Lots candle magic. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm too excited. An episode on kitchen magic. And we're going to be doing some work with uh, death work and spirits as well. You know, really the introductory process, getting into death magic. 
we are also going to be welcoming some of our first guests on the show very, very soon. I'm super excited about this. Probably going to have a guest on the show one to two times per month, just kind of depending on what we're all feeling, what we're doing around here. But I'm really excited to start talking to other witches, other practitioners, other astrologers, especially from an entrepreneurial aspect. Those badass witchy business owners out there. I want you on my show. Got it? All right. So yeah, tons and tons and tons of really exciting things coming up for the show. And I mentioned it a little bit last time. I can't help but mention it again. You guys, these podcast numbers are incredible. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And thank you for sharing my show. I am, I could cry and I'm going to really try not to, but I, I am so humbled by this support. And honestly, just the fact that y'all genuinely enjoy listening to the show. That is going to make me cry if I think about that. So thank you. I love that you love what I'm putting out there. And I just appreciate the shit out of every single one of you magical beings. All right. Without further ado, let us get back into the fundamentals of elementals. Today, today, today it is time to talk about air. Air first, then water. That's because we are going in the order of the zodiac wheel. In astrology, in the astrological wheel, the first sign is Aries. It's a fire sign. Then it's Taurus, and that's an earth sign. The next one is Gemini. That's an air sign. And then Cancer is the first water sign. And from there, the pattern continues. Fire, earth, air, water. All right? So if you did miss part one, it's not imperative that you listen to it first. It's not like there's like a spoiler or anything like that. But you should at least also listen to it if you're listening to this episode. Uh, Because I only covered the first two elements in that one. And I'm about to cover the last two in this one. Air. Let's talk about air. Well, let's first talk about Gemini and its role in the story of the Zodiac. So we know from last time, all right, I guess you should listen to that one first, (laughs) but I'll refresh you. We know from last time, Aries is first. This is fire. This is the spark of life, right? Pure exploratory initiating energy. This is where we just are introduced to our instincts, right? There's so much just basic, straight up survival instinct in Aries. Then we get into Taurus. And in Taurus, we have fixed earth energy and we really lay down roots and we create and build a house for ourselves. We build shelter, we sow roots. Uh, Historically speaking, like ancient history, we, and I mentioned this last time actually about fire and I did, I'm so sorry, I did forget to mention this about earth, but the two like biggest, biggest game changers for human evolution first was when we learned how to cook our food. And I explained that in the last episode, so you can go listen to that. But then was the agricultural revolution. And this 
is a really perfect representation for earth energy, actually, because what the agricultural revolution did is we now began purposefully planting crops. We then had an overabundance of food for the first time ever, ever. Before this, we are hunter-gatherers. We humans follow and track their food. And that's almost the entire basis of their lives is pure survival. And then, however, when we plant food, we also talked about this on the last pre-show tarot reading. We know how much potential can come from one seed. We know how much fruit can come from just one seed. You can feed loads of people as long as you take care of that seed and take care of that growing plant and allow it to continue to fruit for you. That one seed, that one plant can feed so many people. Now expand that into all these different crops and all these different plants. For the first time, humans have an overabundance of food. And what does this allow? This allows us to lay down roots. We no longer have to track and follow and hunt our food. We can lay down roots. And that's what Taurus energy is. It's that first we can lay down the roots now. Now we can stay. And in Gemini, my friends, in the first of the air journey and the air story, we have Gemini. And this is where interaction comes into play. We have been born. We have developed our instincts and following them and keeping ourselves alive. Okay. We've now laid down roots. We don't have to constantly be moving around everywhere, right? And only focus on survival. And so now because we don't have to move, Human beings, um, this is all historically accurate, by the way. This is very much how, in a very general sense, how, you know, human evolution and from like really Neanderthal type uh, humans and behavior morphed into over time into civilization. And so when we didn't have to move around anymore and we got to stay and we have this overabundance of food, um, and then we learned how to preserve food and store it for later. That was a huge game changer. This meant um, a growing population for multiple reasons. You would have people choosing to stay. And on top of that, because we're now healthier, because we can now nourish ourselves regularly, we are having healthier reproduction and healthier children to grow up. So this is another reason for population expansion. And with population expansion comes this interacting. And this is air, air, air. This right here. Podcast, me talking to you, you listening to me, me saying, hi, you should come follow me on Instagram so we can talk with each other. And then I meet and get to welcome all of these new awesome listeners into the witchy neighborhood. That's all air element. And I love it. I am here for it. If you listen to the show, you probably know that I have a Gemini Mars in my 10th house. So the air element is very, very present in my public image and in my career. I really do love air energy. I work with the planet Mercury a ton. Mercury is an air planet. And I, I just do. I just have this appreciation for air energy. That's why I always had this dream of doing this podcast because I love to talk. I'm sure you can't tell at all, but air 
this, this interactive quality I'm talking about, what it's really rooted in is intellect. So the air element really represents our brains and our minds, intelligence and learning. And that's where that interactive piece comes from because we, we share our experiences with each other and therefore we learn from each other. And so in the, in the, um, history of human evolution and in the story of the zodiac, which hello, no, it's not a coincidence that they're very parallel, right? Um, this is where humans finally can take a deep breath. And stay a while and relax and, and get to know one another. And this gives this fucking flavor to life. This interacting now it's beyond just me and my core family. Okay. Like now we are broadening our horizons and we're meeting new people and we're learning about new experiences. And not only that, we finally have the opportunity to share our experiences with other people that don't know anything about us. That is important. Sharing our story, getting to have a voice and have people actually listen to it is a fucking beautiful gift. We learn a lot in that first air sign of Gemini. So Gemini are the two twins, okay? And one of those twins is the voice of Gemini. And the other twin is the listening or the absorbing and receiving sign of Gemini. This is why Gemini is very chatty energy as it very stereotypically gets labeled, but it is, it's very, very chatty. But Gemini is also one of the most curious energies as well. Gemini loves to learn because Gemini is actually the first student as well because this is where interaction first really truly takes place. This is also where the very, very beginning of education begins in the story of the Zodiac and in human evolution, okay? I just think that's so cool. So in the story of the Zodiac, in the journey of the air element, we start with Gemini and this is where we just really learn to master basic interaction speaking, really finding our voice, really offering it and listening. Okay. When we have an out of whack or out of balance Gemini energy, <clears throat> that person is usually either such a heavy talker. They never, ever listen to anything anybody else has to say or the opposite. And they, they feel stuck in this absorption phage phase where all they can do is listen to other people and they haven't found their voice yet. Okay. Um, and so once Gemini in the story and the evolution of air here really masters this, this basic interaction, this basic communication, it then morphs and evolves into Libra and Libra. Oh, I almost forgot. Gemini is our mutable air energy. Okay. And this gives Gemini fucking adaptability, almost like no other. Last time we talked about Virgo and we talked about how Virgo adapts its environment to itself. Gemini does the opposite. <clears throat> Gemini has a really, really impressive ability to be able to adapt itself to any environment. I'm willing to bet like a million dollars that most of you listening to this right now are thinking about a toxic Gemini in your life. And 
you're thinking about that stereotypical, unevolved Gemini energy of a fake person, somebody who who really morphs to their every surrounding, to their every interaction to the point where you might not even be aware of that person's identity and who they really are. And they might not be even aware of their identity and who they really are. And there is plenty of unevolved Gemini energy out there, as is every um, unevolved energy of every sign is out there just as present. I think that Gem gets the tough rap because because it's the sign of interacting and communicating. When you have unevolved Gemini energy happening, it really makes the other person on the other side of that conversation or interaction feel just completely bypassed and completely ignored or, or completely undervalued or not valued at all. And so Gemini has to be aware of this power that they have this power when it comes to interacting and they have this power when it comes to adapting and they need to find their own compass their own true core of themselves and hold on to that with all their might so that when they are adapting in certain situations, it is in this really productive, really evolved sense. And it's not so that, you know, that person, you're not self-sacrificing, you're not lying, right? You're not manipulating. These are other ways that that power can really be abused. and. Because Gemini is this master of interaction, they need to remember the power of listening and how much that empowers the person that they're interacting with. When Gemini can genuinely just absorb what the other person's saying and really lean into that listening twin and allow that to happen... Um, Gemini has the ability to really empower other people. And that is something that does not get talked about nearly, nearly enough. So that, that's kind of my best way to describe that, that mutable energy of Gemini, which then ascends and evolves and morphs into Libra, which is cardinal air energy. And Libra is ruled by Venus. This is nice because air energy is very crisp and sharp. There's a reason why in tarot, air is associated with the swords energy, okay? It is edgy. It is crisp. It is sharp. That's why we think of like sharp-minded, clear-minded, crisp mind, okay? Um, These are all really good descriptors for air energy. That's very intellectual. And because Libra is ruled by Venus, I think that it gives it this very necessary dose of softness, which is fascinating because Libra is a cardinal sign, like I said, which is very, very initiating. This is a creator, an inventor, an innovator. Libras take action. When you put it through the scope of that Venus ruler, though, This is what gives Libra a very interesting type of empathy that, um, you know, the, the other two air signs haven't quite, you know, don't quite have as down as Libra does. 
But Libra can take action and be very sharp-minded, very diplomatic, very justice-oriented, and honestly do all of it through this scope of compassion for others. And this, in the story and the journey of the air element, is what we learn in the transition from Gemini to Libra. We go from just this very, very basic interaction and communication to relationships. And that's why Libra rules the seventh house of partnerships, okay? That third house where Gemini is born, this is just interaction and communication, right? Very basic, very base level, which is important. It's a foundation builder. builder. And then it really morphs into relationships. And that word relating, that's everything when it comes to Libra. That's everything when it comes to the air energy of Libra. There is a pretty good amount of empathy in Libra. And because they come from Gemini and they know this adaptability, and because Libra is the sign of balance and harmony, they also, even though they're a cardinal sign, they're cardinal with this mutableness to them. That's the best way I can describe it. They're very flowing in their movement. And because of this good, solid foundation of interaction that they learned from Gemini, Venus now takes this to another level and really honestly opens up a whole new world of possibilities and opportunity when it comes to the story of the Zodiac and the story of, you know, human evolution. Because now it's not just this very basic interaction. There's caring there. There's love there. There's passion there. By the time we get to Libra and the story of the Zodiac, I mean, we've got a good amount of experience under our belt. And this is where we really see those deeper and simultaneously more broad concepts come into play, like love and partnership and marriage, okay? Libra, air energy, is the kind of cerebral intellectual energy that gets us to kind of understand our just really mental capacity and understanding of these deep concepts like love, like partnership, like relationships, like marriage. What does that mean for you? Okay, what what do those big concepts mean for you? Are you a monogamous through and through? Do you believe in ethical non-monogamy? Do you believe, are you a lone, lone, lone ranger? Do you really thrive off of genuinely connecting and relating with other people? These are the qualities and the, the areas of our life that Libra gets us to examine. And there is a lot of examination in air because it is so intellectual and so cerebral. There is a lot, a lot of, of analyzing and examination in air energy. From Libra, we then finally evolve and morph into that fixed air 
which is Aquarius. Now, the interesting part about Aquarius's fixed energy is it's quite different than the other fixed signs. It is stable. It is very sustainable, just like all fixed energy in the Zodiac. But in this case, what makes it so fixed, what makes it so stable, what what makes it this constant is the fact that it's always moving forward. That's what Aquarius does. When you hear us in the astrological community talk about Aquarius in this very innovative, like spaceship way, right? They're these explorers, they're these aliens. That's because Aquarius is so fixed on forward thinking and innovation that that energy itself has become so stable and so fixed in its moving forward, if that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. So this is why Aquarius, they're genuinely some of the most forward-thinking, creative inventors that we know. They they know how to think outside the box because they're, they're not looking back. They're moving forward. Aquarius does have to be reminded that we, there's a reason for looking back. There's a reason we have memory. Okay. There's a reason our brains aren't wired to constantly forget every moment and only think forward. Aquarius has to remember to also slow down and take a look back. Sometimes that's really how you balance some uh, overabundant Aquarius energy. And so in this story, um, we really start to understand what air energy looks like in many different scopes in many different areas. And so to work with, or not to work with yet, let's talk a little bit about what an overabundance of air looks like and what a lack of air looks like. So when we're in balance with air, we think of all of those really incredible, powerful qualities of all of the three zodiac signs that I just went through, right? When we have an overabundance or a surplus of air, we have somebody who can be seriously a prisoner of their own mind, okay? This is what we call an overanalytical person, somebody who seriously has the hardest time shutting off their thoughts. It can be extremely hard for these type of people to feel really grounded and really present, which is hard for them because they are so intellectual, right? There's a ton of logic and practicality in the air element, just like there's a ton of practical and um, logical energy in the earth element. But the earth element's very, very grounded. The difference with air is that they are practical, they are logical, but it really comes from here. And honestly, the human mind and the human brain is so fucking complex that the moment we even start, even just now while I say that, the moment we start to try to make sense of our own brains and thoughts and what they are, right? We start going down almost this existential crisis for crying out loud. That's a very good example of overactive air energy. Okay. Somebody getting super lost in their, in their thoughts. Okay. Um, overabundant air is also cold and sharp. Typically they really share this also with the earth element. 
when we have an overabundance there, there's a coldness there and a harshness there. And air has to, an overabundance, has to remember the importance and the role of those softer things in life, of the warmer side of life, okay? I think that for air, there's this risk in being soft, right? There's this risk in putting down your sword, arrow, right? Putting down your shield of armor. There is a lot of risk for that. Air does not like to be very vulnerable. And they certainly don't like their heart center to be very vulnerable. They're so up in their mind that they've usually built a pretty solid, impenetrable wall around their heart. And air, overabundance of air needs to remember that they can let those walls down. Yes, they can get hurt. And yes, they probably will. But that will pass. And it's a part of this experience of this life. We were gifted some really incredible brains. Okay. Really, the human mind is is fascinating. And we still don't understand so, so much of it. I have no idea what percentage. I didn't look it up. But I know that we, even in science, like we don't understand a ton, a ton about the human brain still. And so the over air is very like staying stuck and getting tangled in the complex web of the human mind. And so therefore on the flip side, a lack of air Um, this is somebody who, number one, would probably call themselves an introvert. Interacting with other people terrifies them or gives them anxiety. And these people tend to think of themselves as very unintelligent and that everybody around them is very intelligent. And I just want to remind you when we're having a lack of air element, that's, I want you to be nicer to yourself than that. That's not true. Not everybody's smarter than you. And it's not even linear like that. It hasn't, it, that's not how intelligence works. I, I firmly believe that Western society has conditioned us to believe that that's how intelligence works, that it's just levels, right? Because you can just take a fucking test called an IQ test and it'll tell you how smart you are. And that's not what true intellect is. And it it is not how you measure it. And quite honestly, what we need to learn in air is that it's not about who knows the most or who's the smartest or whatever. It's not about that. What did we just learn in the story of the air journey? It's about just constantly broadening your horizons. You know what the main common theme is in air? Other people. Gemini, right? Interacting. Libra, relationships, partnership, marriage, right? And then Aquarius, community, giving back to humanity, right? So when it comes to air, other people, pretty key part, pretty key part. So that's why when we see a lack of air, we're going to see somebody who's very, very introverted. Um, They're very guarded in that way. They, and it could be for a, a multitude of reasons, but this could be a lack of confidence in themselves and in their own intellect. Um, 
They compare themselves to other very well-spoken people, maybe really often. And honestly, what lack of air needs to remember is that by, you know, safely putting themselves out there and safely testing their own comfort zone, they're only going to get better and better. Their intellect is only going to get stronger and stronger. That's the best way to strengthen it is to use it. And so they think that they're protecting themselves by holding themselves back when really putting themselves out there in some uncomfortable situations other humans, you know, we all get a pretty bad rap and I totally get where it comes from because we can be assholes. Um, but we can also really accentuate each other's experience in our lives. There's a reason we all got here together. There's a reason we, we don't just get to roam this earth all by ourselves. We're supposed to interact with each other. Other people are kind of a big part of the whole dealio, okay? And so when you are lacking in these areas, this is where you're going to find people that are extremely, extremely antisocial. And then an overabundance of air is somebody that never can be alone. They can't ever be alone. And usually it's because they'll really be a prisoner of their own thoughts. So they constantly have to be around other people or they'll have to face themselves. And so see where we need to balance between these two. To work with the air element, okay, uh, this is a fun one. So a really great way to honor and work with air energy is to study and interact and talk with people, okay? So utilizing technology and um, whether that's talking on the phone to somebody or hopping on social media or whatever, uh, all air signs do love their technology because it only assists in their interacting with other people. And so interacting with other people specifically through technology, this is a really nice way to honor and uh, hone in and embrace the air element. Doing something like this, listening to a podcast, you're utilizing technology and you're also learning and expanding your experience and your understanding. You're getting to know me on a deeper level, right? And so this is going to satisfy air element. Um, I like to do wind magic as well. So this is, weather magic is awesome. And we will really dive into weather magic on the seasons episode of Fundamentals. But just for now, wind magic, you know, really, really taking advantage of a windy day is awesome. Especially because most of us hate the wind. I'm one of them. I'm right here. The wind drives me absolutely bonkers. And I live in Colorado. So we have some, our windy season is no joke, like no joke. And if you live in an area that gets like tornadoes regularly and seasonally and stuff, like you know what wind is and you get very mad at it and you hate it sometimes. But this is powerful fucking energy, which again, if you've experienced the high winds in any of the regions that I've said, for example, you also know the power of air. It is fucking powerful. So on a super, super windy day, go outside if you can, or open a crack of a window, something like that. If possible, um, get your physical body out into the wind, out into the air, and honestly, just close your eyes and let yourself absorb all that power. I've done it lots of times. 
it is a very refreshing, very empowering ritual to just stand outside and allow yourself to be charged by the wind because you're not fighting against it. It's, that's why it's so empowering all of a sudden. Instead of it being this nuisance and this thing you're so annoyed of, you let it fuel you. And when you just release and surrender to air element and to wind magic like that, whoo, it's powerful. It's really powerful. Now, let's say the winds are, it's too much to physically go out there or you're like, no way am I standing in that or whatever. There are a few things that you can do. And one of those is you can get some kind of container, like a pretty jar or a bottle or something. It doesn't even have to be pretty. It could be whatever one you have around the house. And um, ideally clear, because this just really adds to that aesthetic of air, right? This translucent um, to it. Because air is the only element we can't see. That's why it, overabundance of air, why we get trapped in our mind, because it's it's the unseen, okay? It's the unseen element. Um, but we still can physically experience it. And so to really capture this, you can take some kind of a jar or bottle, any kind of receptacle that hopefully you can put a lid on. You'd stand outside and stick it out the window and suck up some of that air and then put a lid on it. You can mark the day that it was, mark what sign the moon was in, what sign was the sun in, where were the other planets, especially like Mercury being a big old air player. Um, and so that is a good way. And then you would keep that air on your altar. You could ask your deities or your guides to bless it and consecrate it for you, or you could give it to them as an offering and in return ask that they consecrate it from you. And the next time you need that major, major power from the air, from the wind, you have it and you can kind of unleash it in a ritual of some kind, okay? So capturing it um, special, like windy air like that, that's a really good one. Um, studying, like I said, interacting with other people and anything that exercises the mind, okay? So visual magic is one of the best ways to practice air element magic because you're doing all of it with your mind, okay? There's a bit of sentience that comes along with it, which is feeling, which is water-based. But when I'm talking about good old-fashioned classic visualization magic, I'm talking about a, as clear of a picture as your mind is able to create, okay? Um, this is a really, really uh, good way to honor the air element and work with it. So visualization magic of any kind. There's, we'll do for sure a visual episode. Let me just of that here. Um, we'll definitely do an episode on just like visualization magic because there's so much that you can do with it. And I think that a lot of people actually have a really hard time with this. Um, and you know, what's funny. A lot of them are air signs. And so you would normally think, well, they should be able to visualize things in their mind really, really easily, but not if they keep becoming a prisoner of their own thoughts, right? And they don't learn how to control their thoughts so that they can control them and focus them and create a clear picture in their mind of something. So visualization magic, awesome for air element magic. And then um, any kind of me mental or mind work like meditation, the practicing of letting go of your thoughts 
is also the practice of controlling and regulating them by surrendering to them and allowing ourselves to just achieve a deep meditative state. Um, you're doing both of these things simultaneously. You're letting go of your own control of your thoughts and you're also taking control of them. I hope that makes sense. Um, that's just a, a benefit of meditation practice. Okay. So that sharpens the mind that, uh, honors the air element and then, uh, mental games and puzzles are awesome. Crossword, word search, Sudoku, uh, bubble witch. Uh, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I'm not a humongous game player, like on my phone. That's why I just listed like (laughs) all of the most old school puzzles and mind games. Um, but honestly, any kind of strategy game, my husband plays a lot of strategy games on his phone, like Clash of Clans. That's a strategy game. So um, I think even something like Eternium or Diablo might even fall under that because there's there can be strategy there. So gaming and video games and like any, whether it's on apps or on a console or whatever, gaming is actually a really good way to honor the air element. Now, if you're overabundant in your air element at the moment, I would do the opposite and I would take a little bit of a break from the games, okay? I would do something a little bit more physical and in the here and now to ground yourself a little bit, okay? Um, But if you're needing to tap into air element and air energy, gaming and video games, um, honestly, Googling riddles and trying to solve them or looking up riddles on TikTok and Instagram, people are always passing around these super fun little riddles and mind games on social media. And that is a great way not only to exercise your mind, but you've got the interaction piece as well, since it might be on social media with somebody. Okay. And you're utilizing technology. Air energy is really easy to tap into. Honestly, I think it's easy because it just, it's very conducive for modern life and and modern technology. So air energy and modern magic is just, it's just super easy. Okay. Now that's air. Let's get into water with the water girl. God, I, water and I, wards have mercy. I know water. I know water very, very well. Um, I have a fuck ton of water in my chart and oh my God, I have like clusters of water energy in my chart particularly Cancer and Scorpio, Scorpio the most. Um, But I have a very prominent water placement, which is my Pisces moon in my Pisces ruled eighth house. So I know water very well. I am somebody who you'll learn at the end of this has the overabundance most of the time and has to work on balancing out my water energy that way by kind of uh, restricting a little bit or just regulating and controlling my my water energy. So water, let's talk about it first through the scope of the Zodiac story, right? And this story of human evolution, okay? So Aries, we know what happens. Taurus, we move on there. Gemini, we just learned what we master and learn in Gemini. And when we get to cancer and when we get to the fourth house, this is where we learn to emote. This is where empathy is born. This is where our emotions and our feelings are born. This is where, in my opinion, we begin to give meaning to life. 
Water is like that liquid glue that like brings it all together. Okay. This is where a house becomes a home. This is why interaction is able to become relationships. This is why instinct and exploring and curiosity is able to become like legacy and self-expression, right? Okay, so water is what gives life to all of that. Water is what gives meaning to all of those building blocks of life. Without the emotional part, without the feelings, without how it felt, there would be no other big meaning. We would just come, we eat, we leave. Did you ever watch A Bug's Life? That's what I'm totally quoting. <laughs> That's what the grasshoppers say. They come, or the ants say it about the grasshoppers. They come, they eat, they leave. And the ants find themselves in this very repetitive cycle of life where there's no deeper meaning to anything. All they know is to get up in the morning and work and survive and go to bed at night and do it all again the next day. And without the water element, that's what would have happened, okay? But it's not. It's not what happened because cancer came along. And cancer is now moving us back into cardinal energy. So there's four elements, um, but in astrology, there are three modalities. That's what those are called. The cardinal, the mutable, and the fixed energies that I've been talking about. Those are the modalities of the signs and of the planets. And this kind of tells us how that energy moves so that we can recognize it. And that's why within each element, there is uh, one sign of each modality. And this is what helps us to recognize and master the elements. Because like I said at the very beginning of all this, the elements are so broad. They literally span everything. And in order to conceptualize this and to be able to master it and work with it, we kind of break it down into further subcategories. And that's really where the modalities come in uh, when it comes to each element. So When we get to the fourth house, when we get to cancer, we find ourselves back in cardinal energy. And this is really perfect because cancer is initiative. In the story of the Zodiac, it initiates emotion. It is the start of feeling. It is the start of that deeper meaning of life, if you will. And that deeper meaning, that's also another really good analogy, okay? Like, Think of like a deep ocean that you dive deeper into. This is what cancer uh, energy created for us. I want you to either pull up a picture of the Zodiac wheel on your phone, computer, or in your brain if you're able to. And if you can't do it right now, do it later. Um, But picture the wheel. That wheel is divided into four main quadrants, okay? And this start of the elements, right, from Aries to Cancer is the first quadrant. And at that first quadrant, so, well, the first first line is the ascendant line. It's the start of the first house and it's the start of Aries, okay? And again, in the story of the Zodiac, not in every chart, just in the traditional wheel. When you get to the fourth line, the fourth cusp, that is called the IC. I do not know how to pronounce it. I'm really sorry. It's immune coli, coli. I'm sorry. It's abbreviated to IC. You should go on Google and do abbreviation or the pronunciation. And I'll do it as well after this episode. Anyways, your IC, 
which is the start of the fourth house and the start of cancer energy. This is where you'll hear me talk about in charts a lot. This is your roots, okay? And that's why water energy, when it gets introduced to us as humans and in the wheel of the Zodiac, we have this, this vision of, of diving deep down. This is what cancer and water and emoting get us to do. It gets us to dive down past the surface. Everything else we've dealt with so far, Aries, Taurus, Gemini, right? Those first three building blocks of um, this evolutionary story. It's very, very surface-based and there's nothing wrong with that. But water's the first sign that gets us to go past the surface and to go deeper, okay? It gives way to all of those other beautiful aspects and areas of life. Without that first initiating cardinal energy of cancer, we would never have gotten to Libra and the beautiful relationships that we talked about, right? And and so forth, everything else. So um, this is why I say <clears throat> it really houses the deeper meaning um, of life. So in the evolutionary story of water in the Zodiac, we first learn how to just emote in general. And this is the burden and lesson of cancer is honestly, <clears throat> both cancer and Scorpio have big themes in, in the lesson of emotional regulation. Um, it's just that cancer's burden is more that they naturally kind of come out being controlled by their emotions and their biggest lesson they have to learn is how to regulate and um, control their emotions and really utilize their emotions. It's still a tool, just like, <clears throat> just like all the other elements were a tool to use. Emotions and water is no different. And so cancer um, in this first step of evolution of water really has to learn emotional regularity, Okay. In cancer, we remember how I said we go from house to home. This is the first sign where we really develop family, okay? Not just this group of people that you bring with you for your survival and you're not just surviving with them and you're not just keeping them alive based on, on biological instinct. When we get to cancer in the story of human evolution and the story of the Zodiac, family now exists. This is the first signs of love that we get to start to see. And this is where mother energy comes from, mother to child energy, caregiving, nurturing. So even if you yourself are not a parent, um, caregiving and nurturing, <clears throat> these are the qualities that cancer teaches us. So you know, look to your chart, look at where cancer is, and you can start to explore these themes and how they show up for you in your life personally. And so once cancer masters emotional regulation, okay, and this is really uh, well represented by the parenting analogy again, just because we go from being like helicopter paranoid mom or paranoid parent um, to this nurturing presence that understands all they can do is accept and love their child and their family as much as they can, set them up for as much as success as possible, and they kind of have to lovingly detach. And cancer is all about attachments. It's not easy for cancer to detach, okay? Um, but that's one of their biggest lessons is when cancer can learn to master the art of loving detachment, 
I gave them everything that I could and the rest is up to them. That's true nurturing. That's true love, okay? Um, Then it morphs and ascends into Scorpio. This is where things really get deep, okay? This is why the four, or sorry, this is why the three houses, uh, the three water houses in the Zodiac wheel, why they're such deep, (coughs) heavy themed houses, because that's what emotions did in the scheme of life and the scheme of evolution is emotions and the water element give depth to everything it touches, okay? And so in the eighth house, in Scorpio, when we've morphed from Cancer to Scorpio, we have learned how to master our emotions and how to regulate our emotions. And this is why Scorpio is the sign of transformation and rebirth because it has such a deep awareness and understanding of all aspects of life, all from the darkest, darkest, depths to the highest, highest light tops, visible areas and everything in between. Scorpio knows and has an understanding for all of that because they learned emotional regularity. That's what we gain when we, when we really form a relationship with our emotions and we learn how to just let them experience and we learn from them and they don't control us. And we just learn how to flow with them and control them where we need to. Um, <coughs> this gives us a lot of power. And that's why in Scorpio, you'll find that unevolved Scorpio energy is the abuse of that power. That's why Scorpio's big stereotype against it, and again, rightfully so, is this manipulative energy. This is why a lot of people, if you study any kind of like love astrology or relationships astrology, why Scorpio partners can tend to get a pretty bad rap because a lot of Scorpios abuse that power of transformation and rebirth um, to manipulate for their own, just bluntly selfish gain, okay? And that's why Scorpio's burden and lesson is really embracing um, transformation and change itself. So Scorpio's fixed energy, okay? And this is hard for Scorpio because it's the sign of transformation and rebirth. How do you transform and change with fixed energy? It's it's unmoving and yet you're asking for me to to always be moving, okay? This is uh the the burden that Scorpio faces. And when Scorpio can master sustainable, never-ending change, rebirth, and transformation is when they achieve their ascendance, okay? And the reason unevolved Scorpio will manipulate those around them, it really comes from a fear of death and a fear of change. It can be a fear of literal death, like, like I'm going to die. But usually it's just a fear of death in general, of things that end. Scorpio doesn't like that. 
Scorpio fixed energy wants things to keep going. And so that's where that abuse of power comes in and while they'll, why they will manipulate those around them. It's actually to avoid change and transformation. And that's why an unevolved Scorpio does not transform and they stay very low level and they don't actually rebirth. Um, and so once they learn that change is inevitable, that death is not only inevitable, but necessary. And so they surrender to it and they therefore learn to master it. They learn to master their own rebirth and transformation and then ascend to Pisces, the final uh, water sign and very important, the final sign and the final house of the Zodiac. Pisces, therefore, which is the mutable water energy, really represents all endings and beginnings simultaneously. We'll talk about this on the new, on the the moon episode that we're going to do, but you probably heard me talk about this on the new moon episode that I did about the Leo new moon. New moon energy is very similar to Pisces energy. It's very, very dark. It's very, very quiet. It's very, very still. It is an, it's a place of in between. It's a place of endings and beginnings. One thing has ended, a new one is beginning, and you're at that tiny little space there. And that's why Pisces 12th house, there's a lot of subconscious there. There's a lot of unseen there. Um, this is the void. And so in the story of the zodiac, this is where things get darkly beautiful, I think is a nice way to put it. Yes, there's death in the 12th house. There is death in the 8th house because of transformation, rebirth. There's tons of physical death in the 8th house. But there is also tons of physical death and just uh, conceptual death in the 12th house as well because of that endings and new beginnings thing, okay? Pisces energy, that mutable water energy, really reinforces that everything is always changing and always moving, always ending and always beginning at the same time. Pisces is this very ethereal water energy where diving into the depths doesn't even begin to cover it as a descriptionary phase or descriptive phase. Descriptionary? I should write that down. Maybe I made that up. (laughs) Descriptive. Um, This is where we meet spirit, God, the universe. This is where we experience the void. And that's why Pisces energy is very concerned with surrender. That's why the Pisces a card, in, sorry, the card for Pisces in tarot is the hanged man. It's all about ultimate and true just trust and surrendering to the universe and to the, to the, the greater good, if you will, the bigger picture. It's that exploring like other dimensions, other ideas, other worlds and other universes while surrendering to the idea that you are part of this one here and right now. Okay. And so 
Pisces mutable water energy is obviously very flowing, very, very flowing. If we, if we know that mutable energy is already pretty um, movement-based and very flowing-based, when you add the watery element to it, now we're really flowing, right? Um, because that's what water does is it, it flows. But Pisces also transports us to that which is beyond water. And I, I know I'm getting like so existential here, but that's, that's the best way to describe Pisces water energy. That's the best way to describe these emotional watery depths I'm talking about. Water is so much more deep than we'll ever be able to really understand. And there's a reason we'll never truly be able to understand it. And it's so that we continue the cycle and we continue to explore. It's that, that infinity aspect of the universe itself. Okay. This unending. When you think of the ocean, when it comes to Pisces, I want you to think of the cosmic ocean. I want you to think of outer space. This unending infinite period, this infinite capital I. Okay. So an overabundance of water, a lack of water and a balance of water. What do these look like? When we're really balanced in our water energy and our water element, we are fucking in tune with our emotions. We are like this, like BFFs with our intuition. We don't question it. We trust it because we know, we accept that we, we don't fully understand everything that we do understand. Okay. That's what balanced water energy is. I get it that I'll never fully get it. That kind of energy. Okay. Um, this is a very compassionate person who really utilizes their empathy to its fullest potential, which is not only to help fill the needs of others, but to make sure that the needs are filled at home first with self, okay? Healthy, balanced water energy is very healthy self-care practice, okay? Um, A lot of us need to um, like heighten or tap into our water energy when we are really, really self-sacrificing. Okay. This is, um, mostly seen in a lack of water energy. We're not really caring for ourselves. Um, we're not caring for other people, even though that's what we're telling ourselves that we're doing. Um, it's, it's not effective. It's not true because we're not starting with a full cup. Therefore, even though we're telling ourselves, we're feeling the needs of other people. Really, we're not actually. Um, an overabundance of water is an extremely emotional person. This person is reactive to everything. And I think when we hear the term emotional, we automatically think like a crybaby. And sure, maybe it is crybabies too. But it's also very, very angry people. Anger is not exclusive to the fire element, okay? Anger is an emotion. And if it's an emotion, it falls into the water umbrella as well. So, This is why if you know reactive cancer energy, it's usually in the form of anger. That's a lot of times, um, I think that cancer always gets this ridiculous reputation of just being a bunch of crybabies. And again, sure, whatever, that's fine. It comes, the stereotype comes from somewhere. But at the same time, 
I, in my experience at least, cancer over emotion is very anger-based to me because of that cardinal aspect, because of that mother and nurturing aspect. It's that overbearing mom energy, it, and which again comes from this like fiery hot place of anger and survival, right? And so um, we don't always associate that with cancer, but we should. That's where those qualities stem from. We always attribute those qualities to Aries, I think, because it's cardinal and it's fire and it's ruled by Mars. But a lot of the things I'm talking about, um, like that overprotective, overbearing, um, emotional, reactive-based actions, you know, to protect other people or ourselves or whatever, that's really actually just an overabundance of usually cancer energy in specific, but overwatered, we are, we are just soaked in our emotions. And I use that term very purposefully too. I use this analogy to describe my emotional state to my husband that I'm like a washcloth. I have so much water in my chart. I'm like a washcloth that when I like soak myself with emotions, it takes forever. Like sometimes it feels like it takes forever for me to really allow those emotions to pass. I just sit like soaked and drenched in my emotions forever sometimes. And that's where I really, to help balance out over water, I would honestly do a combination of all earth, air and fire, you know, exercises or rituals, because I think that kind of pulling out that trifecta is one of the best ways to pull ourselves out of our emotional state. So when you're feeling really, really over emotional, that is, and really attached, right? Like emotionally invested, emotionally attached. This is the best time to start practicing that loving detachment um, that we really learn from earth and air. Fire is pretty good at it too, honestly. We, we learn most of our attachments in water. And therefore, we learn a lot of our healthy detachment um, from the other three elements. So practicing loving, healthy detachment, very, very good for an overabundance of water. Now, lack of water. This is somebody who they will not admit it in these words, but it's true. They're afraid of their own emotions, literally afraid of them. I don't know what will happen if I allow these feelings to come through. And that's fear of feeling, okay? And that's usually a subconscious thought. Rarely does that person have that thought consciously, well, I'm afraid of my emotions. No, it's usually subconsciously happening in the background. um, And therefore that person is constantly in a state of detachment or disassociation, okay? And this is where tapping into the water element, you can start to learn that healthy attachment is a really, really beautiful thing. It can give meaning to everything. This is why the water element is really special and really cool is that if you have a lack of water in your chart, I've seen a lot of people kind of brag about that. And I get it. It's probably nice to not feel like a total slave to your emotions all the time. But at the same time, water signs or or those of us with a lot of, you know, natural water energy, we therefore have a very natural understanding for the deeper meaning of life. 
This helps us. Um, we're rarely materialistic beings. Um, we're rarely very like self-serving to gain like success or wealth or credibility or, you know, things like that, like status and things like that. Water knows that at the end of those, at the end of the day, none of those things super matter. They matter in this life. They definitely matter in this life if that's something that you value. Um, but water knows that even when those things go to shit, there are deeper things to life that matter more. And so I've talked about this with my husband, you know, over the years, like anytime we encountered financial struggles or financial stress, anything like that, I'm always able to really remind myself and remind both of us, like, you know, we're still so blessed, even though we're really stressed about money right now, or we're, you know, really, uh, yeah, stressed about money is usually where these thoughts come from. Um, I help remind us like, but we have each other. We have this, like, we have a roof over our heads. Um, we have like this healthy family, like this beautiful daughter. We have each other and our dog that we love. We've developed this home that no matter what happens financially, no matter what house we live in, no matter what structure we live in, um, we have each other. And we know that that's what truly fulfills us at the end of the day. If that, does that make sense? So that's kind of, um, a really beautiful tool that water energy brings with it is it helps give us that kind of perspective. And it can really help those of air and earth majorities because they can be so practicality and so logic based that water, um, and, and fire obviously, but water can really get them to broaden and deepen their perspective. And remember, there are so many other somewhat more valuable areas of life. Those practical, logical responsibilities of life, they are very important. All four elements exist for a reason. But that deeper meaning, that that water giving life to everything, um, that's, that's the main special gift and tool that we get from water. So how do you work with water energy and magic and in your life and everything? Well, uh, I mentioned somewhere about drinking water. I think it was on the earth one. Um, but drinking water really genuinely is a great way to connect with water energy. So whether it's drinking water, bathing in water, taking a shower, going swimming, um, washing your hands, soaking your feet, these are very simple ways to connect physically with water and to really tap into that energy. Water is very nourishing and life-giving on a physical level and therefore also on a very spiritual and emotional level as well. So that's why sometimes when I'm having a really hard day, especially if the, the emotion that I'm feeling is frustration and anger, when I'm feeling frustrated and angry, I feel really, really hot usually. And therefore I feel like clammy and sweaty and sticky. And overall, I'll start to feel this layer of like dirt, right? That's what an overabundance of the frustration emotion brings for me. And one of my favorite ways to really reset, because again, I'll just, when you have an overabundance of water, you'll just stay soaked in those emotions. 
a great way to reset that by connecting with the water element is washing my hands. I do it a lot. Um, that helps a lot. I'll use like really, really cold or as warm water as I can handle. Like I'll, I'll control the temperature that way because it'll really bring me out of my emotions and feelings and into the present. And it's this really nice, beautiful physical refresher, obviously, and this good reset. But at the same time, you're also honoring your body. You're also honoring your experience by by doing that, um, washing our hands is a really, really sacred ritual that most of us, um, don't make sacred and we kind of take it for granted. And I teach this a lot with my clients that, uh, use hand washing as mindfulness and intention practice. It's, it really is sacred. We do so much with our hands. You should be taking care of them. You should be honoring them. So washing your hands underwater is really great. And if you want to use soap, awesome. If you don't want to, it's fine. The physical ritual itself is just using water and cleansing your hands to reset your, your mood, your emotional state. Okay. Um, and then that said, everything that I had already listed, right? Bathing, um, showering foot soaking, all those things. Those are great ways to work with the water element. Uh, I also use water as one of the main offerings for my deities. I have a Brita filter in the fridge and that way the water, um, I always have cold filtered water on hand, which is why I like to do it. But that's the water that I give to my deities. And I like to put in a nice clear glass because when it's filtered, um, usually that water is just like pristinely clear. It makes for a really, really beautiful and really inexpensive offering for deities and for spirit guides. So, um, you could even go to the thrift store and, um, allow like a chalice to find you. Okay. It could be a really special wine glass or mug or goblet, right? Like you never know what, um, will find you when you go out thrifting. And I, I think that's one of the best ways to find a chalice for your altar is, is letting one find you like that versus, um, you know, ordering a fancy chalice that's might be really, really overpriced, but maybe you could also support a small business owner or creator on Etsy who, uh, creates really beautiful altar chalices or goblets. So that would be a cool thing to do. And then another thing for goblets, cause again, anytime you have a chalice or a goblet or a cup like that, you're automatically working with the cup with the cup, with the water energy. Think of in tarot. In tarot, the water suit is cups. And so even if you don't have the chalice full of liquid, it in itself represents water. And another thing that you could do is go to like Dollar Tree or Michael's or whatever, um, some kind of craft store. You could get yourself a plain wine glass, a plain chalice, a plain glass, and then you could decorate it yourself. You could paint it. You can hot glue things to it. You can name it, right? Or put your name or a deity's name. There's so many different things you could do. And then same goes for mugs. I, um, I give my deities coffee probably more than almost any other liquid. I 
drink coffee every day and I specifically really intentionally brew it and I make enough to honor certain deities on certain days. And I have designated certain mugs to every deity as well. So that's also kind of a fun thrift store thing or just go into your uh, mug cabinet. That's what I did. If you're anything like me, you already have too many mugs. And I just really intuitively allowed my deities to select their own mugs or their own cups. And I no longer use those personally. Those mugs are strictly for um, deity offerings, okay? Other ways to work with water energy is either physically going to a body of water or visualizing bodies of water, or looking at pictures or videos of bodies of water. So if you're lucky enough to live really close and accessible to an ocean or a creek or a river or a pond or a lake, I really encourage you to take advantage of that. Even if the water is not safe to consume, um, you could still gather some of that water and keep it on your altar and um, honor and tap into the water element that way. You can use water to cleanse certain crystals and uh, you definitely want to always double check online, do your research um, if this crystal will be damaged at all by water. Some crystals um, are delicate enough that they can't stand up to water, especially if it's not filtered or distilled water. So do your research first. Like I would never submerge and just leave selenite in water because it's very splintery and flaky and I would not feel safe with that. Um, even if I wasn't planning on drinking it, I don't want to ruin the crystal. So always check that. But that is a good way to connect with both earth and water energy actually is by um, cleansing your crystals with water. It would be great if you blessed the water first and you can bless your faucet. So before you run your bath, before you turn on the faucet to wash your hands or to rinse crystals or shit, even to wash dishes, anything, bless your faucet every once in a while and remind yourself that all of the water that comes from that is sacred and therefore can be used in all these beautiful, sacred, magical ways, okay? This is... Honestly, for all, for both parts of the episode, for all four elements here, it's still very much tip of the iceberg here. Okay. I could go on so much about elements, their meanings, how they show up in our lives, how to work with them, what kind of magic we can do. And I assure you, the more we go on this show, that's what I'm going to keep doing anyways. I am through and through very much an elemental witch. I integrate these concepts and these elements and these um, qualities into my life, into my practice, into my business on a regular, very daily basis. So it's definitely a subject that we will always continue to be exploring with each other. Um, but with that said, I would love to know what other questions you may have, what thoughts this may have brought up for you, any feedback that you have. Uh, do you already work with the elements or is it something you're really interested in and you're really just not sure how to get started in it? Did these episodes help you at all? I would love to know if there's any areas that you would like me to expand on. I'm happy to give anybody a shout out that would like it that submits um, questions or comments to the show. And um, if you ever don't want the shout out and you want to remain anonymous, of course, just always let me know that. I will absolutely respect everybody's 
uh, privacy or lack thereof, whichever you would like. So yeah, elements. Welcome to the fundamental series. We're going to have such a blast. I love talking about the elements with all of you. That was great. I'm really, really, really stoked on all of the new content um, and new episodes that I have coming up for you. Again, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. Uh, Subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. Follow me on Instagram and TikTok. That's where I'll always post announcements as well of episode releases. And just stay tuned because I have so much awesome shit and so many amazing practitioners coming your way. Thank you so much again for every single one of you for listening to this show. I I just want you to know I'm saying this directly to you. I love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all so much. And I'll see you next week. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode of That Witch Podcast. I seriously appreciate every single listen, every single download of every single episode. If you want to help continue to support the show, you can leave me a five-star review on iTunes. That really helps me reach other people that would enjoy the show as well. You can also just share the show with a friend or tag me on social media where you can also follow me at thatwitch.nextdoor on both Instagram and TikTok. If you want to work with me, I offer some really, really awesome one-on-one sessions with my clients. And I also will be launching a very cool mentorship coming up in the fall. If you want to book a session or join the waitlist for the mentorship, head over to my website, thatwitchnextdoor.com. And don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel so you can get access to every pre-show tarot reading that I do before every single episode, as well as some other fun stuff I have planned for YouTube down the line. All right. Thanks again, everyone. I appreciate all of you so much. Stay magical out there. 